Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. A little over a month ago, uh, I shared with you guys how I believe that the Lord spoke to me at the beginning of the year that this would be a year of healing. Now, like I mentioned before, when he said that, he didn't say, hey, I'm going to do these types of healings or these things. Uh, But biblically, we know that there's four types of healings, and we're going to throw a slide up and just show you these four. And those four are this, biblically, that we know that there's physical healing, we know that there's emotional healing, and that there's relational healing, and that there's spiritual healing. If you're in agreement with that, say, oh, yeah. So listen, for the next few weeks, I actually want us to turn our attention. I feel really prompted by the Lord uh, to turn our attention to the first one on that list, which is physical healing. Now, with that in mind, I fully realize that when uh, the topic of physical healing comes up, uh, you know, when you're in a church like ours that's really a melting pot of people from all different worlds, there's different responses to that. Some people are like, yes, and some people are like, "Uh uh-uh. Right? They're like, no, thank you. And so I, so I realized that it's something that we could be excited about or it could be a controversial thing, uh, really depending on our background, our previous church history, or the type of teaching maybe that you've been exposed to at this point. And uh, I remember when I first heard this stuff, there was resistance in me as well. And so I just want to encourage you maybe instead of resisting it, just having a humble heart, an open heart saying, Holy Spirit, I trust you. If you want to show me something I've never seen before, please show me. Amen. Amen. Can y'all do that for me? Okay. So um, let me say this, you know, as we're preparing to dive in, and I don't mean this, uh, you know, with any ill will or any disrespect, but in my opinion, uh, you know, at least what I've seen from the church world for years, I didn't grow up in church. I got radically saved as a, as a, uh, you know, late my teenage years. But what, what I quickly saw was this, is that, that there was many leaders in the body of Christ that either uh, misinterpreted God's word or they misrepresented his heart. And, and by doing so, those people, if it's from, uh, you know, a seminary classroom all the way down to uh, the preacher preaching to the pews, Sunday school, Christian school, you can almost throw every realm of Christian education in there. What I have seen in many years is that the church is really good at teaching people how to not believe. Right? They're really good at teaching doubt. So, we're, so the church today is full of a lot of unbelieving believers. And I want you to know that, that it's my heart for this house that that wouldn't be us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So listen, I, I have learned that the outcome of when people don't believe is it, simply this. We'll throw a slide up. Is that, is that more often than not, when we don't believe, there's a lot of good-hearted Christians that really love Jesus, but they have forfeited their covenant rights pertaining to divine healing. True. And the second thing is there is, is this, is that when you forfeit that right, you actually remain a victim to Satan's attack. And if you realize it or not, your lives become more in agreement with Satan's will for your life than God's will for your life. So because of this, what I want to do is I want to just dedicate our time this morning. I am going to teach more than preach today, and so it's going to be slow. I am going to give you a lot. It's going to take some time. Bear with me, please, okay? Uh, But what I want to do is I want to focus solely on some of the misconceptions that are commonly believed around the subject of physical healing. So here's the word picture that the Lord gave gave me today as we dive in. He, He basically showed me this. If you can imagine a a plot of land that is super overgrown. So if you're looking at this plot of land, it's uncleared. The ground's really uneven. There's a lot of trees in there. Some are really big trees. Some are little saplings. Uh, You know, in there, there's a lot of thick underbrush. In the middle of all that thick underbrush, just scattered about, there's these massive rocks that we call boulders, all the way down to rocks that size of where you can actually pick up with your hand. Are are you seeing this today? So, So how many of you guys know that if that plot of land remains untouched, that it wouldn't matter if we hired the greatest architect, if we got the best, uh, you know, general contractor, or we got the best subs in the business, uh, you, you know, listen, we could even go, okay, we hired all of y'all, best that money could get, and now we run over here and we buy all the supplies we need to build a mansion. How many of you guys know that, guess what, until that plot is cleared, it's going to be impossible to build a house? 
Like, like try to go lay down a foundation. You call the concrete truck if you want, but try to lay a foundation in a plot that's unclear. Not going to happen, right? And so my prayer this morning is pretty simple, is that the Holy Spirit, who we know is the great teacher of truth, uh, would come like a bulldozer and come like an excavator, not necessarily remove trees and rocks this morning, but so that he can remove any wrong thinking, any beliefs, any misconceptions that are currently hindering us from receiving one of the greatest benefits of the plan of redemption, which once again is healing. Amen? So here's kind of the, the scripture that I've been praying about for this morning. It's out of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. I've read it many times around here. But it says this. It says, Behold, I put my word in your mouth. I'm, Jesus, do that for me today, right? It says, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Why? To root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. In other words, to remove what needs to re be removed, to clear the lot, right? Why? So I can build and plant. Right? And so that's my prayer for the next few weeks that God will use today, tear down what needs to be tore down in our thinking, so in the next coming weeks he can build and plant what he wants to from his word on this subject of healing. Amen? Amen. All right, so with all that said, uh, let's turn our attention. I'm going to give you five. Some are longer than others, but I'm going to give you five misconceptions concerning physical healing. Five misconceptions concerning physical healing. Number one is this, is that God uses sickness to discipline or to teach his children that God uses sickness to discipline and to teach his children now listen I don't know personally if I will ever forget the first time that I heard that uh, I was in my early 20s and I uh, just happened to be back home in Alabama one of my best friends was getting married and and uh, we were sitting at the wedding rehearsal uh, on that Friday night and I was sitting I remember actually in the in the back kind of center right of the sanctuary it's a really big sanctuary and, and I was standing there with another groomsman his name was John and I have to tell you John was probably one of the sweetest godliest kindest men I've ever met uh, and he was you know, significantly older than us, and, and the topic that we were talking about was how John was struggling with cancer. And, and so John, you know, at the, by that time, had already been to chemo, his head was already bald, and, and he actually told me this. He said that he believed God had given him cancer to teach him some things. Now, when those words came out of John's mouth, my heart immediately sunk to my toes. You know what I'm talking about? And I would love to tell you today that that's the only Christian that I've ever heard. God gave me this sickness, but it's not. Unfortunately, over the years, I've heard many, many, many Christians uh, say that. And a lot of times, the reason that they say that or the, or the biblical truth that they think that they're hanging their hat on to back up what they're saying is out of Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to read that to you today, and then we'll look at it real quick. It says this in verse 6. It says, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. It says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Verse 9 says, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? And it says, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years during the best they knew, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. You see, like that guy John that I knew, guess what? There's this tradition of thought that would have us to believe that when God trains one of his children and that when he often disciplines them, he does it by using things like cancer, heart trouble, a crippled limb or some deformity or some other awful thing uh, to get his point across. In other words, what they're trying to say is, is, hey church, guess what? One of the ways that God shows that he loves you is he makes you sick. Or they'll say, hey look, God's way of, of training you and making you holy somehow so you'd be more righteous and more like him. He's going to use sickness to teach you that. In fact, I, I recently kind of on that note, I read that a theologian said this. And this kind of show you things that have been preached. Maybe you heard it, maybe you haven't. Once again, it depends on your church background. But it says this. This fellow said 90% of the Christians who are sick are sick because God is using sickness as a chastising rod to express his love for them and is molding their lives to his perfect will. Then he went on to say this, Christians who are not brought under the chastising rod of sickness by God once in a while are not sons. 
All right. So with that laid out there, let me give you uh, at least from my view of the Bible. I'm not saying I'm an expert at this at all because I'm not. But, but I just want you to know that there's a few problems I see concerning this type of thinking. And this will be the longest point that we're going to make. So hang in here with me. And it's this. If you're taking notes, A, is that if you go back to Hebrews chapter 12, the scripture we just read, it clearly does not say, in other words, the writer of Hebrews did not say, whom the Lord loves, he makes sick and strikes with a disease. Did it say that? Nor does it say that God gives sickness and disease to every son or daughter he receives. See, the truth is, is if we actually stop for a moment and go, okay, let's actually look and see what that word discipline really means, we'll find out that the word discipline in Hebrews 12 actually means this. It means to instruct, to train, to teach, or educate like a teacher interacts with a pupil or like a parent teaches or trains a child. I'll say it again. To instruct, train, teach, or educate like a teacher interacts with a pupil or a parent teaches and trains a child. Y'all, please listen to what I'm about to say. Once again, this is a common sense approach today. Uh, there are a lot of well-educated people in this room. Okay, uh, I, I know many of you, I know the education process that you went to to get where you're at today. And, and I just want to ask you really quick, when your teachers, your instructors taught or trained you, did they ever use sickness as a form to educate you? Come on, talk to me, church. Absolutely not. Okay, on the same note, once again, we're talking common sense here. Uh, we have some really incredible parents in the room who I know love their children dearly, and I would like to think that I am one of them, right? I have uh, not one, not two, but I got five youngins, right? Yes, I said five if you're visiting. Yes, I have a village. No, it wasn't intentional. I don't even like kids that much. I just really like my wife. Anyway, so, <coughs> anyways, so, listen. Watch this, and as parents, because we love our children that much, are there times where we need to discipline them? Absolutely, yes. So, so let me please ask you, even in the moments where you're so frustrated with your kid, like, like on the day that your kid is being the most knucklehead that they can be, and you're like, man, I have to discipline this child, did you ever wish in your worst of moment, in their worst of moment, that you could somehow put physical sickness or some disease on your child so they would learn that lesson that you've been trying to teach them? No, why? Because that would be psychotic. Right? And so, so a simple thought that I have today is this. Y'all please, a God who created us in his image, that it would be psychotic for him as well to employ that same tactic? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, so listen, I'm just trying to tell you today that this uh, traditional train of thought is A, void of common sense, but it, guess what? It doesn't even fit proper context when you begin to look at what words mean in the Scripture. Therefore, if anyone attempts to take this idea that, guess what, that God uses sickness to dismiss children, they are misinterpreting the Word of God and they're misrepresenting the Father heart of God. Yeah. Amen? All right, so here's another problem I see, once again, with that type of thinking, that God uses sickness to discipline His children, is B, is that, most people, and I'm telling you this, every person ever told me this falls in line with it, that most people, like that guy named John, who believe that their sickness is God's way of disciplining them, they have no idea why God is punishing them. So watch this. So they're sitting there, right, and they're sitting back. So instead of using actually the God-given authority that Jesus gave us, right, to rebuke the enemy so that they can receive the redemptive and covenant rights that Jesus provided for them through his death and resurrection, instead of that, they have this wrong thinking that leaves them feeling uncertain, and they're wondering, what did I do so wrong to deserve this punishment? So, so can I just kind of maybe ask you, and everybody looking up, please, it's simply this. It's like... Like, who would plant that thought in your head? That you've done something so bad that God made you sick. Like, where does that come from, right? Let me say it a different way. Every time God has disciplined me, because he disciplines us. Can I get a well? So, so every time he's ever disciplined me, guess what? I knew why. I knew why. On the same time, guess what? My five kids, I don't ever just uh, go in the room and just spank them. And they go, why are you doing that? Figure it out. <laughs> Doesn't happen, right? We're going to have an explanation of why, what's going on, right? So listen, so, so if there's no response from the God that you're praying to, then maybe it's because it's not from him. Yes? So, so listen, it, that, I just think this. 
Obviously, it comes from the devil, but by the devil telling God's people that their sickness or disease is God's way of correcting some mistake, error, defective thing that's in their lives, the devil actually succeeds in causing these people to blame God, the one who is the healer of their sickness, for the very sickness that he, the devil, has put on them. It's called the art of deception. Yes? Yes. All right, here's another problem I have with this. See, here we go. It's let's say that God... Just for a moment, let's say that God actually uses sickness to teach a lesson. Then what's next? I'm going to show you how silly this is that we as Christians come up with this kind of thinking. Watch this. If we actually think God made us sick, then what's next? Then that would actually mean that if a Christian went to the doctor for medical treatment or, God forbid, that they would actually come to church and ask somebody to pray for them so that they could be healed then wouldn't they be hindering and resisting and undermining the loving Father who is trying to allegedly bless them with this and to somehow uh, discipline them through the sickness? That, that If that's the case, that if I say, hey, can you please pray for me because I've had diarrhea since Easter, whatever, right? Can you please pray for me? That, that Wouldn't that be considered as rebellion and, and a lack of submission? Yes? Because aren't you getting in God's way if he's trying to do something for you? Right? See, the issue with that is the Bible tells us this plainly in James 5. Y'all listen to this, please. It says, is anyone sick among you? Is anyone among you sick? I went to a different translation. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Why is the Lord going to respond if it was from him? The point that I'm getting at, guys, this line, of con- uh, this line of thinking contradicts the Word of God, and so we shouldn't accept it as truth. Amen? All right, the last problem I see concerning this type of thinking is, is plain. It doesn't line up with, the, with God's nature. It doesn't line up with God's nature, right? Look at Acts 10.38. It's an incredible verse. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and doing what? Healing all who were oppressed by who? The devil, for God was with him. Over the past 20 plus years since I give my life to Jesus, I have read and reread Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, again and again and again and again, right? And and, uh, listen, obviously we know that those Gospels contain the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. Is that true? Yes. So listen, out of all my reading, uh, you know what I've never found in there? I have never found a single story or a single instant where uh, Jesus put sickness on someone to teach them a lesson. Now, now watch this. If we're going to be people who actually believe proper theology, right, and we say we believe the Bible, then let's bring some other Bible into this, right? Because we can't say out of one side of our mouth that he uses sickness to discipline people, and now the other side of the mouth we say, you know what, we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, That he came to declare the Father, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do what the Father tells me to do. All these things. We can't say we believe all of that and that Jesus is one with the Father. He's part of the Trinity. They're walking in perfect unity. We can't say all that and then say, you know what? Well, somehow we believe we've come to the conclusion that God puts sickness on people. Wrong. Then that means that Jesus wouldn't be in unity. Am I making sense? So, so we have to come to the conclusion that God doesn't put sickness on his children. Rather, he is interested, like we see in Jesus' life, of taking it off of them. Amen? All right. So let's not misinterpret or misrepresent him or his heart. The second misconception that I see uh, basically people wrestling with is this. Is that sickness and disease are a part of God's will for our lives. That sickness and disease are a part of God's will for our lives. Now... For those people who tend to align themselves up with that train of thought or that kind of thinking, uh, most of the time they use these verses. I'm going to give you two. There's a whole lot of other ones they use, but we can prove the point with Psalm 34 and 1 Peter 5. Let's listen to Psalm 34. They use this verse. Many are the afflictions. Somebody say afflictions. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Fast forward New Testament, 1 Peter. It says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered, somebody say suffered. suffered. 
He says, after you suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All right. So those who believe that these verses are referring to sickness, disease, or some physical ailment, they've decided that they're most times that their long-standing physical issue is part of some affliction or some sort of sort of suffering that God has chosen for them to bear and endure. And most of the people that believe that, they simply want to roll over, accept it as their lot in life, and they just keep getting kicked. I'm not interested in getting kicked. Right? So once again, here's a few problems I see concern this line of thinking. We're going to go, once again, straight to the Word. A, for starters, neither of these verses say, what? Many are the sickness and the diseases of the righteous. Did it say that? No. no. So let's not make it say something that's not saying, right? And also, did the second one there in First Peter say, after you have struggled with pain, sickness, and disease for a while, hey, I'll step in. I'll help you out. No. L- l- listen, now I realize that some people, when they hear me say that, they could argue with me and say, well, well, doesn't sickness and disease, isn't that a form of affliction and suffering? Yeah, I guess. Surface level, sounds good. But once again, if we're going to be students of the Word, we have to go, what does the words actually mean? In other words, where we make mistakes a lot of time in our American culture is we try to apply our American thoughts to words that don't line up with the Hebrew or the Greek in which the original language is written in, right? It's a mistake we make. So when we actually look up those words, affliction and suffering, what they mean in the original language, I want you to know today it has absolutely nothing to do with sickness. Are y'all hearing me today? So listen, they both actually mean this. They mean trials, hardships, persecutions, and temptations. Right? Trials, hardships, persecutions, and temptations. Let me expand on this thought for us for a moment. I think when we look at the Bible, we go, man, who, what believer that's maybe gone before us that understands trials, hardships, persecution, and temptations better than anybody? I'd have to say the Apostle Paul, right? In fact, so much so, let's look what Jesus said about him. Watch this in Acts 9. It says, go for he, talking about Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Sounds great at this moment. Woo, right? Great ministry. This says in verse 16, for I will show him how many things he must, uh-oh, suffer for my name's sake. So watch this. Think about it. Here is Jesus, God of the universe, calling this man into ministry, right? He has this Damascus Road experience, and he says, hey, bud, guess what? You're going to get to do some cool things, but I'm about to show you all the things that you may suffer. So if anybody can actually maybe define what biblical suffering is, I think it would be Paul. Do you all agree with that? Yes or no? All right, let me give you three verses really quick to show you how he defines suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, we patiently endure troubles and hardships. This is Paul talking. And calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, facing angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. Anybody else want to sign up? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8 and 9 says this. Just fast forward in three verses. He said, we serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Fast forward a few chapters to chapter 11. Paul said this. He said, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five times, uh, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He's not talking about marijuana. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. That was stupid. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Here's the simple point I'm trying to make, guys is out of all the examples Paul's used to describe what affliction and suffering looks like, I want you to notice that sickness and disease never made the list. Right? So let me give you another example of the separation of these. I'm just trying to say why we can't make the Bible say something it doesn't. We can't make these the same things when they're not. So let me give you another example of separation between these two categories. Uh, James said this. We already kind of referred to it once. We'll look at it again. James 5, 13 and 14. He says, Our any of you suffering hardships. If you're a King James person in here, it says, basically, is anyone afflicted among you? Okay? 
And then he says, you should do what? You should pray. And then he says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church. Once again, my point is simple, guys. If they were the same thing, James wouldn't differentiate it between the two. I want you to notice that not only he separate the two, is anybody suffering, is anyone sick, but did you notice that the responses to, towards the two things were different as well? If you're suffering, if you're afflicted, you need to go pray. Go pray. But if you're sick, you need to call for the elders and let them pray for you. Am I making sense? Yeah. So if they're, they're the same thing, then why do you differentiate them? You shouldn't have. All right. Can I give you an extra thought here? If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. I know Olivia's with me, but I need everybody with me. Here we go. So, listen, if we stop for a moment, once again, we're trying to take common sense, and we actually look at the entirety of the gospel message, okay? Once again, we're, we're under this topic that, that, that pretty much God uses uh, sickness, suffering, or should I say suffering and affliction somehow to do all this, okay? So, look at this in the entirety of the gospel message. We'll throw up the next slide that it would be a contradiction to say that Jesus has bore our sicknesses and taken our infirmities, that by his stripes we are healed, that he heals all our diseases, but also to say in the same breath, I might add, that there are many sicknesses, diseases, which God expects us to bear until appointed time and under certain circumstances. Wouldn't make any sense, would it? All right, now let me give you something else here. According to Isaiah 53, it's where we see, obviously, where Jesus bore our sicknesses, right? We, we see the whole thing about the Messiah being prophesied about. And then you look at Psalm 103 when it talks about basically our sins and, and diseases, okay, the benefits, okay? So in those two portions of scriptures, we see that Jesus bore our sins on the cross. Why? So that we wouldn't have to, right? Rather, so that you and I could be saved from them. Is that true? Likewise, Jesus bore our sickness on the same cross so that we wouldn't have to bear them but be healed of them. Amen? Once again, if you want to get theological, this is all part of the substitutionary work that Jesus accomplished for us through the cross, sin and sickness, right? So with that said, let me just ask you, once again, I'm a common sense guy. Does God expect, like, let's say Ray, he expects Ray just to carry this massive sin that he just can't get rid of? Or can we say that Jesus actually died for that sin so he could be free? Will we agree with the first one or the second one? Carry it or free? Free, okay? So in the same token, if it's the same cross, same gospel message, then why would we say, you know what, that he wants Eric to carry this sickness around all the days of his life and just deal with it? Yeah. Doesn't line up. Right? Am I making sense? Yeah. All right. Let me give you another thing here, okay, and we'll transition. Did you notice that the Bible never says that Jesus bore our trials, our persecutions, our hardships, or our troubles? It doesn't say he ever bore those things. On the contrary, Jesus actually said in John 16, 33, he said, I guarantee you in this life you're going to face those things. You can bank on it. But he said this, he said, but don't fear because I've overcome the world, right? And so my point is this is if we even take that thought, go a step further, did you notice that Paul said, hey, look, we're going to fellowship in his sufferings. If we want to walk in the power of the resurrection, then we need to fellowship in his sufferings. So if suffering and sickness were the same thing, then that would mean that we have to fellowship with Christ's sicknesses. You know what the problem with that is, though? He wasn't ever sick. So it can't be the same thing. I know I'm kind of belaying the point. I'm beating the bush there a lot. But anyways, I'm just trying to get something unraveled in our head so, so that we can understand, look, with that, that bottom line, we don't, these aren't the same things. So we can be free. Amen? Amen. All right, the third misconception that a lot of people carry, and I think it's probably uh, expressed more than the first two, okay? And I hope my, my goal here is not to make anybody mad. Um, you know, I'm not mad at anybody. I love people. Even if they disagree with me, it's fine. Uh, but, but um, yeah, here's a misconception, okay? And I don't have time to break it all down. But third one's this, is that, that God used to heal, but he stopped once the Bible was written. God used to heal, but he stopped once the Bible was written. Now, the transitional thought here is, or traditional thought, sorry, in the simple form is this, is that Jesus and the apostles, yes, signs and wonders followed them. Yes, that they operated in the gifts of the Spirit and what we see listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But, but all those things were simply uh, for the authentication of the gospel. 
Okay? In other words, the message that they preached, that the miracles came, so it said, oh, we can believe that because that happened, right? And, and I just kind of want to show you today that, yes, I believe that that is true. Okay? But I also believe that not only did the miracles authenticate the gospel message or the good news, but I think it was also an expression of it. Hopefully that sinks in. Okay? In other words, it's this. It's like um, that the signs and wonders, that they weren't just to validate the good news, but they were a vital element of the good news. And, and I just think today that it would behoove all of us if we would realize, guess what, that that good news has not changed. Guess what? God didn't say, okay, let me establish my kingdom. The Bible was written and, and the church was established. So now I'm going to move all my gifts and all the signs and wonders away. And now y'all make it on your own. And, and you have a book to preach. And this book is full of power. Don't get, me any, don't get me wrong. It's anointed. It is the word of God. But guess what? The Bible still says that signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the word. Amen? Amen. All right, so here's a few problems I have with people who forget that God's still multiplying and still moving his kingdom forward, okay? It's A is this, is that the Bible never tells us that God would stop moving in these ways. I, listen, I've read this book from cover to cover, I don't know how many times, but I do know this, that I've never found one verse in there that says God's going to stop it. it. I haven't found it, okay? If somebody show me, then maybe I'll change the way I believe, but I hadn't found it, okay? Now, now listen, I realize that there's loads of people that have great arguments against that and they pull scriptures to say look here look here look here but you got to look at the gospel as the full thing you, you can't you can't pick verses out and i'm sure we're all guilty of it in some way but but to say hey that's what we're going to base off of you got to weigh scripture against scripture yes so the the second thing that i see a problem with is this is that a majority of the denominations that wave this banner that that hold to this line of thinking their history actually tells a different story and y'all listen to me, this is so unique to me, okay? Uh, because I, I didn't get saved in the, you know, we're in the non-denominational church. I didn't get saved in the non-denominational church. I got saved in a church that says all these things don't happen anymore, okay? But the funny part is, is I actually read this uh, recently. And, and if you actually go in, in that certain denomination, you ask them, what's the greatest revival you guys ever had? Uh, all these missionaries will point to China, where they had this incredible revival in their denomination. And guess what happened? There was prophecy. There was speaking of tongues, right? There was healings. And even dead people were risen from the dead. But here's what's interesting to me, and this is what happens with a, with a lot of denominations, and it actually happened with a book about that revival. They went back and they rewrote it, and they took all the supernatural out of it, and they made it as natural as they could to sweep it all up under the rug. And I'm thankful that there is a ministry that's live and kicking, a guy that used to be a part of that denomination that got radically transformed by all the things we're talking about. He rewrote it and put the stories back in it. <laughs> Appreciate that, right? So even the funny part is, is all these guys in denomination, they'll point to these guys, and if I said their names, you'd know them, that, that uh, basically that they're the fathers of their denomination. They all had these supernatural experiences. I don't get it. The only thing I can think of is this, is maybe they're afraid it's not as acceptable. I'm sure there's more to it. See, here we go. Let me hustle up before I start meddling on something I don't need to meddle on. All right, it is this, is, is why I think there's a problem with it. It's because there's too many people's personal experiences and testimonies that would say different. Yeah. Right? And, and I just say this, so I can kind of run down a list. I wish I had time to go into the details of all this, but I don't. But, but I wish I had time to tell you the way that my daughter was, uh, you know, basically miraculously healed two days after she was born. When a doctor and nurses come in and say that was a miracle, guess what? It's a miracle because they don't throw that word around lightly. Now, I wish I could tell you about the time that I walked in this hospital room. I was a young gun in the faith, and, and there was this newborn baby. He was broken, uh, born with a broken collarbone. Mom said, will you pray for him? I laid hands on this little bitty infant, and I prayed for him, and God uh, healed. Put the, put the collarbone back together. Pretty fun stuff, right? So, listen, I wish I could tell you about the time that my nephew, he was born as a drug addict. And, uh, and basically what happened was, because his mom was a drug addict, in less than a month of his life, he was completely healed. All signs were gone. Uh, there was a time that I prayed for a man. I've told you before, I, I literally came up to be prayer for his back. I put my hand on his back like this. And when I did, I expected normal back, whatever. Instead, I grabbed a, that's really full. Let me not grab that. Um, basically, I grabbed like the half the size of a softball. And as I prayed for him, the thing dissolved in my hand, gone. 
It's a good day. I think I was more excited than he was. I didn't get that. So I prayed for this guy one time who had brain cancer. God healed him. There's a woman that I know that had a tumor in her stomach. Uh, basically, uh, she just kept saying, no, God's going to heal me. She go, ultrasound, still there, ultrasound, still there, ultrasound, still there. After the third one, that thing disappeared. Good day for her, right? Uh, I know this guy that had a, uh, his foot got caught in a piece of farming equipment, and it literally uh, crushed his foot. It was flat. And it broke his bone in, in hundreds of pieces. And then things swelled up sides of a basketball. And he began to pray. He got a wholesome teaching, basically, that talked about faith, talked about healing. And he just believed the word of God. And now he's got a restored foot completely good after they said that they were going to amputate it. It's a good day for him. There's a kid that came in a youth service. Uh, one of our youth services down in North Carolina. A kid walks in with a cast. He's got a broke arm. Some kids gathered around him because he said, hey, I want prayer. I don't want this thing on my arm. And they prayed for him. He went back to the doctor. They x-rayed it. It was broken two days before. Then it was healed. Good day. So I met this army general one time. This guy uh, was in basically all kinds of special ops world. It was over Delta Force for a bit. And, and I had a chance to meet him. And he was a part of, a, part of the evasion to Grenada. Some of you older guys probably remember that when it happened. But he was on the chopper going in. And an anti-aircraft round that was being shot from the ground came through the bottom of the helicopter that he was in, went through a radio, and it hit him in his arm right there. And it exploded, basically, that part of his arm. It just, all that metal from the... Um, radio and all that went into his arm and it broke his arm and like I can't remember how many pieces it was like close to 100 pieces and they said basically from his elbow to his shoulder was shot that they were going to have to amputate his arm and he was a believer and he began to believe God's word and and they didn't put it together God put it back together and I love the fact because he's a big old dude he said uh, you know every time every year on my birthday I go in the gym and I'll put up 300 pounds just to show look what God's done Got like a guy like that, right? He doesn't work out with me. Anyway, so <laughs> listen, I know a guy that was blind that got healed. I know a guy that literally my pastor sat in the service. There was 12 deaf people. Every one of them were instantly healed. I got friends that sat in the service, and there was a gal with little arms and little legs, hadn't grown, and those things grew out to be a normal-sized person. They watched her literally grow out like a, over a foot, right? Um, I, you know, I could tell you about pacemakers being dissolved, medical stuff being dissolved. Uh, you know, I can even tell you a story about a kid that was born in Africa. He was born and he had no eyeballs and no eyelids and no uh, eye, like, like no, line, you know, slits for his eyes, right? They laid hands on him, prayed for him, slits formed, and God formed two new eyeballs in the kid's head. Wish I had time to tell you all that. <laughs> Here's the point I'm trying to make, though, okay? And once again, if you believe this or don't believe it, it that's between you and Jesus, okay? But I will say this to you today is that if one of those stories are true, just one, just one, if God really did a miracle with one of them, okay, then that blows that theology out the water. Am I making sense? Just one. It only takes one. And, and you know, not to mention the hundreds of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people who have said that they've gotten healed over the 2,000 years. Amen? All right. So, listen, while to me all that seems like a real no-brainer, um, Here's the reality on this, okay? Y'all hang with me a little bit. Is unfortunately, I've met too many Christians who contribute those healings to the works of the devil. I've met many, many people that say, well, that was the devil. Well, that was the devil. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that anymore. He, he's quiet. He's in heaven right now. He, he's, he's in timeout. And so, uh, so he's not moving. And, and so guess what? God doesn't do that. So it has to be the devil. And I'm going to throw the next slide up here for you. But, but this is my simple response to that is it's a sad day in church history when Christians believe or begin to believe that the enemy of our souls, the devil, cares more about our well-being than God does. That seems so simple, right? Y'all look at me. The Bible clearly tells us this in John 10.10. 10. Obviously, yes, Jesus came to give life abundantly, but the enemy comes to do what? It's threefold plan, steal, kill, and destroy. He is not interested in making anybody well. Yes? So I just think this, man, it's a scary thought to think that Christians could actually contribute the work of God to Satan. But, but if I can give you a little bit of scriptural context here, uh, this isn't anything new. Did you guys realize that Jesus encountered the same thing? Right? So, so the same spirit's in operation today that was back then. Let me show you this verse. We're going to hustle up here. You're doing great. Matthew 12 says this. It says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. How many of you guys know if you're demon-possessed, you're blind, and you're mute, it's a bad day for you? Yeah. Just saying. And then it says, he 
Jesus healed the man so that he could both speak and see. And when the Pharisees heard about their miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. That's a scary thought, right? It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, and I think it should say any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. Jesus knew how to flip the script, didn't he? It's crafty. And then it says, verse 27, it says, But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. I want you to know today that kingdom is still moving. Amen? Amen. Yeah. All right. So let me kind of end this portion with this thought here, okay? I think if we actually begin to say and believe that God no longer heals, if we do that, we're removing a large portion of the gospel. Kind of already said that, but I want to say it again, okay? Now, listen, if you are sitting here today and you don't think that is true, uh, I want to encourage you to remember this. Look at Mark 16. It says this. It says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. Some of Jesus. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Let me read that to you all again. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Do we still accept that as truth? I hope we do, right? Yes. Yes, we still believe in the gospel message, right? That that it has the ability to save souls, yes? We still believe in a real heaven and we still believe in a real hell, yes? All right. So so that's, we'll say half. We'll just play, say half the gospel, okay? Y'all work with me here, okay? I know that number's wrong, but work with me. Watch verse 17. It says, and these signs will follow those who are apostles... Does it say, and these signs will follow until the church is established? Does it say, and these signs will follow those who, whatever, have a Bible? No, it says, these signs will follow those who believe. Does that include you and me? Yes, it does. And then it says, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. I know that freaks people out, but it's all right. Verse 18, they will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Let me bring some balanced context. That does not mean that we go handle snakes and we drink poison. It simply means if something bad happens, you're going to be all right. Okay? And then watch this last part that says right here. This last sign. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Who's that? Apostles? Church? No, 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 no. He who believes. Amen? Listen, if you're sitting here today, and I don't know why I'm telling you this, but, but if you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't know about all the demon stuff. Let me tell you something that happened this week. I, I don't know why. It just pumped me up. I thought it was so cool. Uh, I got a text from my brother, and um, my sister-in-law is a, she's an elementary school teacher, okay? And anyway, so she works with a lady that I, I guess had a, had a necklace on with a cross on it. And this little kid that's in the school, once again, elementary age, that freaks all the teachers out. He's been there for two years, and uh, he, he's, the kid's got serious issues, okay? Uh, he walked up to this lady and got really close to her, uh, the woman with the necklace on, and he said this. He said, the demons don't like your necklace. They're scared of the cross. Kid comes from a really bad home life, and obviously somebody's opened the door for something to get on him. Amen? But, but I want you to know, man, look, this gospel is still alive. Amen? Amen. So watch this. Let's talk about once again that let's not cut it in half. Psalm 103, 1 through 3. says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Watch this. Who forgives all of our sins, our iniquities. That's part of it. What's the next part? Who heals all your diseases. So let's not take half of it and forget the other half, right? In other words, let's have faith for the full gospel. Amen? All right. So the fourth one is this. Next two are really quick. Y'all hang in there with me. Number four, the, the fourth misconception is, is if I've never seen it, then it can't be true. Heard that. If I've never seen it, if I haven't experienced it, then it can't be true. 
Now, now listen, common sense would say this. Listen, I'm not a rocket scientist here, okay? But listen, if I do not believe that God heals, and so I don't believe, uh, so I don't pray for anyone, right? So I don't believe, and I pray for zero people. How many people do we think is going to get healed? Y'all are smart. <laughs> zero, right? It's, it's, it's literally the law of average. And so no wonder people don't have experience. You're not going to have experience if you don't believe, right? I'd rather pray for 300 people and see one get healed than pray for nobody and see nobody get healed. Amen? All right, so listen, let me just kind of ask you a question on that note, because once again, I'm a common sense guy, and when people say, when people say, well, I've never seen it, so I don't believe it, my response that I want to give them all the time is this, well, were you there when Jesus died? How about the resurrection? Were you there? Did you see that? Man, have you seen heaven? Have y'all? I wasn't there. I wasn't there. <laughs> But, but listen, at, at some point what did happen is this, is that you and I, hopefully, we heard the gospel message at some point, and when we heard the gospel message, when we heard that Jesus died for he rose from the dead, and guess what, that he left to make a home for us, that guess what, in our hearts, something came alive, it was called faith, and we believed, right? And so all I'm saying today is what if, what if we actually put the same amount of faith that we believe in those things and we believe in the other part of the gospel and we actually believe in miracles and healing as well? What would happen? Amen? It's called full gospel. The fifth one, and let's land this. The fifth misconception is this, is if someone is sick, then they must have hidden sin in their lives. I struggle with this one. I still remember the first time I heard this. So, I was living in Louisiana, and there was this gal in our church. She was only a few years older than us, and uh, she, she got sick. And by sick, I mean she couldn't go to the bathroom for like a month, okay? Like something like locked up in her intestines, and she couldn't go to the bathroom. And, and, and I expected everybody to be like, oh, let's pray for her. Let's believe Jesus will touch her. Let's do all this. Instead, what I heard among some people in the church, what kind of hidden sin do you think she has? I was like, what? <laughs> and you know what's funny? Not the last time I heard it. Now, let me bring some balance here, okay? Y'all please hang with me. Is it possible that if someone can get in sin and rebellion, disobedience towards God, and open up the door for the enemy to bring sickness upon them? A thousand percent, yes. Seen it more times uh, than I can count. Seen people who can't get healed until they get uh, basically forgiveness in their heart, let it go with someone. When they work through that forgiveness, God heals them. Okay, there's tons of things there I could give you, but we don't have time. All right, so let me give you a verse here to kind of back this up, and we will land it, I promise you, okay? It's not a fake landing, it's a real landing. Luke 12. It says, One Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent over, uh, bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. How I many of y'all know that's a really good day? It says, Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight and how she praised God. That's an understatement. Whoa, yeah. Verse 14 says, But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. Don't you love religious buzzards? says, there are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord Jesus, people blow my mind, really. says, but the Lord, the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you work on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox and your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water. And he said this key verse, hold I'm reading it. This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham. What do I mean by that? Is he obviously was identifying himself with her. He didn't say this woman who's ate up with sin. Remember, he told that other woman, go and sin no more. So he went, Jesus wasn't afraid to deal with sin. Okay? But he said, look, he didn't, he didn't address some issue in her life. He said, daughter of Abraham. And then he gave the, the, basically the reason why she had been sick for 18 years. She has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Right? It's the attack of the enemy. And then he said, isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. 
Amen. I'm done. So here's my hope once again for today. Is that if there's anything that's in there that we have been taught, because I'm doing my best to go, not here's Quentin's opinions, here's Bible. Okay? That, that we would be willing, even if there's a little resistance in our heart, to say, Lord, uh, you know, please give me the truth and let those things get unraveled and need to be unraveled because I want to be in agreement and I want to walk in unity and harmony with you and I want to believe your word. Amen? Listen, we are, we are people that believe in the full redemption, redemption plan of Jesus. Okay, his redemptive work covers spirit, soul, and body. Amen? There's healing for all of it. Yes? So, like I said at the beginning... I didn't have time to click, go through everything. And so if you're sitting here today and you go, what if, what if, what if, what if? We may get to it, we may not. Uh, but there's a lot more to it, okay? Come back next week. <laughs> Thank you all so much for coming today. You guys are awesome. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your truth today. Holy Spirit, I have done my absolute best to hear you and to communicate what I felt like you put on my heart. And I simply ask... God, that your word would accomplish that for which you sent it in our hearts today. God, I simply ask, God, that you would speak to us, God, and that you would reveal truth. And God, I ask that you would not only reveal truth, but you would reveal any lies of the enemy that we have believed. And God, we pray in the name of Jesus that those lies would be broken off of us today. God, that we could walk in the truth and the freedom that Jesus promised us. Father, we are people that believe your word from Genesis to Revelation. God, we know all scriptures God breathed. And so, Lord, today we choose to receive your word. And, God, we choose not to uh, mix it with a bunch of doubt and unbelief. But, God, we choose to mix in faith with it. And so, Lord, once again, whatever has to be rearranged in our lives, God, we simply say we're willing. And so, Lord, I thank you, God, that today, God, just as you said that uh, you desire, God, for our soul uh, to prosper and for us to be in good health, that there's sure promises from you. So over the next few weeks, as we shift gears and we just begin to dig in deeper in this topic, Lord, I ask God that a foundation would be laid uh, that would be unmovable in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for your truth today. Thank you for your spirit that's being with us. Once again, thank you for your divine protection over our lives. Uh, God, for uh, just anything in life. Lord, we honor you and just help us have a great day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.